In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you. I see some of you are still frozen to death on the way to church. Well, welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Well, let me start with a question. How many people here this morning are looking for the real thing in 2017? Raise your hands. You want the real thing. Well, in our gospel text this morning, we heard about the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when 2017 is over, back in January 2018, when we cycle once again to the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, how many of us want to say that this is the year that we really advanced in the Lord Jesus? Let me see your hands. Well, that's most of you. Good. Well, this morning, let me invite you to take out the Bible that's in front of you. And let me invite you to turn to a text that we didn't read this morning, to 1 Peter. It's found on page 1014. Turn in your Bibles to page 1014, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, this little book of 1 Peter was written by the most genuine, I think, of all the apostles. Simon Peter, the big fisherman. You know, Simon Peter just didn't do nice. He wasn't into polite cups of tea and playing church. As the Gospels reveal so often, Peter either wanted to be all in and all for God, or not at all. In this little short letter, which is addressed to believers, it's addressed to believers who are in the central part of what is today Turkey, Peter uses the words genuineness, earnestly, sincere, and precious. He uses those words eight times. This morning we're about to participate in the rite of baptism, and Peter describes baptism not as some mere outward formality, but he calls it a sincere appeal to God for a good and right conscience. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. Look what Peter says. Peter says, God is at work in your life and mine so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're seeking for your faith to be genuine and real in 2017, then I invite you to join me this morning for a very brief look at this little letter. Now, the outline of this letter of Peter, or the book of 1 Peter, is very simple, just like the man Peter himself. The first chapter tells us what God has done for us, and then the second chapter goes on to say, well, then how ought we to respond to what God has done for us? So let's start at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. First of all, Peter says in verse 1 that God the Father has chosen you because that is what it means to be elect. God has chosen you. And then in verse 2, he says how God has chosen you and me. God has chosen us according to God's own foreknowledge. 
Next, Peter says why God has chosen you and me. He says, one, so that we might be obedient to Jesus Christ, and two, that we might be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Do you long to live a life of obedience in 2017? Well, I know you do. In fact, that's why you and I are alive. We are alive, and that's what our life is all about, for the purpose of glorifying and obeying Jesus Christ. Peter says, God has chosen us to be obedient to Jesus. And then he says that we were chosen to be sprinkled with Jesus' blood. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, just as in the Old Testament, things were made holy and they were dedicated to God by the sprinkling of the blood of a sacrificial lamb, so you and I were sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It is Jesus' blood that makes us holy and sets us aside for God's holy purposes in the world. By the way, that is why the validity of baptism, and the baptism that we will do today, does not depend upon the mode of baptism. Now, if we take you down to the lake and submerge you there, in the waters at the lake, we are reminding you that you were buried with Christ, and raised again to new life in baptism. If we pour water over the top of you, we are reminding you that the Holy Spirit has been poured out by God and falls upon those who are baptized by him. But if we sprinkle you, we remind you that you are receiving forgiveness of sin and you're being set apart as part of God's holy people. Now, in verse 3, Peter tells us more about how we've been chosen. He says there, look at that, that we have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge. Now, what in the world does that mean? Did God look ahead and say, you know what? I can see that Henry's going to be such a good person that I am going to choose him. No, not at all. Just ask my wife. Verse 3 says, God chose us long before we even existed. We were chosen according to God's foreknowledge and according to his mercy. You see, mercy is unmerited favor. It is undeserved forgiveness. Verse 3 goes on to say that we were in spiritual death but God caused us to be born again. Know carefully what he says. He says, God caused us to be born again. You and I did not wake up some morning and say, oh, silly me, I have been running away from God. It's time I get back together with him. You see, if we had been born again from that, it would not be called mercy, it would be called clemency would have something to do with fairness or kindness or something like that. But you and I were born again of God's mercies, utterly undeserved favor. In chapter 2, verse 10, Peter says, once you were not a people, 
But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You and I woke up one day and said, Oh, foolish and sinful me, only because God had already rebirthed us to new life. That is mercy. Now let's look at the second half of verse 3. We have been born again by God's mercy to what? Into what have we been born again? You and I have been born again to a living hope. Friends, you and I have a living hope. Now, I remember a million years ago flying home from Christmas leave. It was my freshman year, my plebe year at the Naval Academy. And here I was leaving sunny Southern California to return to the cold and gloomy and gray midwinter of the Chesapeake Bay. And I was facing six more months of hazing and harassment by the upperclassmen. They call those months, when you go back there, January and February, they call those months the dark ages. And friends, we were without hope. But that's not our condition as believers. Look at verse 4. We have been born again by God's mercy to a living hope. And that hope is in an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Verse 5 says, you can't lose that inheritance since you're being guarded and protected in your faith by God himself. Now this life of faith is what God is building up in every single believer. That's what God wants to build up in you in the year 2017. And if you let him do it, when this year is over, when we are standing here for the Lord's baptism in 2018, you will be rejoicing. Well, how important is this life of faith? It is the greatest treasure you will ever have. It is the most precious thing that you possess or may ever possess. Look at verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that is what God has done for you. In chapter 2, Peter then goes on to tell the recipients of this letter that they have received this wonderful mercy of God and they have been declared inheritors of this marvelous inheritance and therefore here is how they ought to respond to what God has done. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. 
Is that your goal for 2017? Are you focused on growing up in your salvation? I hope that you are. I hope you see that that is the reason why you are here at Holy Cross. That your desire is to grow up into your salvation. You see, this cathedral is only secondarily about bricks and mortar. In its most fundamental sense, Holy Cross is being built day by day out of spiritual stones. And friends, you are those spiritual stones. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The king of the universe, God Almighty, has chosen us who believe to be his dwelling place. Now, yes, this is a sacred space. And yes, we care for it. And yes, we honor it. Because here, we encounter the living God in a special way. But you know what makes this space sacred? It's not the bricks It's not the stone, it's not the mortar we use. It is sacred because we are the living stones. We are the living stones that make up this cathedral, and it is sacred because God in his great mercy says, I will dwell with you, the living stones, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Then Peter goes on to say something so astonishing in verse 9 that it is just like dynamite. In fact, from the time of the Reformation onward, it is what has absolutely redefined what we Protestants call church. It is why we are Anglicans today and not something else. Peter says, not only are you living stones, but you are also the priesthood that inhabits the spiritual cathedral. Look what he says, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where in the world does Peter come up with this idea? I mean, every race clan and tribe has holy men, don't they? Every people group have their gurus or their shamans or some select group of people that does their religious business for them. But entire people? A whole nation? Every one of them is a priest? 
Where in the world does Peter get an idea like that from? That's not like anything anywhere else in all of history. Well, of course, he gets it from the Old Testament, doesn't he? He has been reading his Bible very carefully. Now, if you read Genesis 1 through Genesis 11, you will never, ever come to the idea of evolution. (laughs) Never. Quite to the contrary, you will only come to the idea of devolution. Where does humanity start? It starts in a perfect Eden. It starts with heaven on earth. But by the time we get to Genesis 11, it has become, the world has become, a perfect hell on earth. Warfare, lawlessness, evil, murder, revenge. And then God steps in, and he appears to Abraham, and he says, Abram, I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to make your descendants, the whole race of them, into priests and intercessors on behalf of the world. I am going to use them and your ultimate descendant, the Christ, as the means by which I rescue and save the world. Abram, this little nation will change the world, will change the way I think about the world. My wrath and my justice constantly cry out for me to destroy this place and start all over again. That's how messed up it is. But every time I look at that whole little nation right there and think about my Christ who is coming, I'll refrain. I'll wait. I'll exercise mercy toward the world. And every time I hear their intercessions, I'm going to think about the coming Christ. And in that way, that whole nation will preserve the whole world. Well, friends, Holy Cross, now we have become that royal priesthood, that holy people. By Christ's power and in view of his mercies, we are the ones who are now holding back God's righteous judgment upon the world by our prayers and our supplications until the fitting time of God's own choosing. You, you are God's royal priesthood. Finally, Peter concludes... Because we are a royal priesthood, because we have become a holy nation, our conduct must be commensurate with our commission. Look back at chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter finishes chapter 2 with six commands on how we should live and be holy in all our conduct. And he sums up those commands in chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your spirit. Three separate times in this book he says the very same thing. He says, abstain from... 
Do not be conformed to, no longer live in the passions of your flesh. Rather, fulfill your calling as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation. Well, with this marvelous little book as a background then, let me invite you to take out this sheet that you have right here. The one that's titled, Where Are We Heading in the Year Ahead? I trust by now that every person here, even including our first-time visitors, has already been made aware of the mission of our cathedral. We do everything we do to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We are a group of disciples seeking to be closer followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission as living stones in this cathedral is to go on and to grow on in Jesus Christ. Friends, you're not dead stones. You're living stones. And we seek to grow closer in the knowledge, in conduct, and holiness to our Lord. As a cathedral organization, our mission is to do all that we can to facilitate your growth as a living stone, whatever your age, whatever your level of maturity, our job is to help you to go on to the next place. And as your pastor and as an under-shepherd, I have two aspirations for all of us here this morning. My first aspiration is that every person here is growing to their full potential and maturity in Jesus Christ. And my second aspiration is that every person here should participate in some kind of ministry here at the cathedral according to the gifts that God's given you. Let me talk about my first aspiration, your spiritual growth. You and I are involved, we are involved in building a cathedral of people. Myself, the staff, and all your ministers are cooperating with the Holy Spirit to help you be the spiritual priest that God called you to be. You see, the lost people around you may never ever know more about God than what they see and hear in you. That means you are called to be a mediator, and an intercessor on behalf of the world. Okay, fine-sounding language, preacher, but what do you mean? I mean that God, I believe, is calling us to use the very obvious gift that he has given to us, the gift of prayer. You know, every believer can pray from the man who hits his thumb with a hammer and says, Oh, God! To the saint who spends hours on his knees, everyone can pray. Whether it be simply, Lord Jesus, hear us as we pray for this man, or something far more complex. And my desire is that as we grow this year, 
all of us will see how God can use us as a channel of blessing in our prayers and in our conduct, not to the whole world, but simply to the people that he brings along in our path. Now, how are we going to do this? Well, first and foremost, we're going to do this by the teaching and the hearing of God's word. Then, we're going to do it through our spiritual growth classes. It won't take you very long to realize there's a theme running through those spiritual growth classes this year coming up. We have a wonderful conference on prayer planned in March. We're working on a special prayer chapel here. And you'll be hearing a lot more about these and other things in the days ahead. But we're looking for prayer to be the main emphasis in the things that we do. Our goal for your growth is that by the end of the year, any of us will be able to say to a friend or a co-worker who has shared a need with us, well, can I take a few minutes to pray for you right now? Or maybe I could meet you later over coffee. Or I could stop by for five minutes. And you meet with them and be able to pray with them and be able to do it in a way that's not weird or awkward, but one which makes you feel you're being equipped by the Holy Spirit to do that. That's my first aspiration. Here's my second aspiration. Please turn that hand out over. And as you look at that side of the handout, we've tried to list every ministry we could think of. If we've left something off, let us know. We tried to think of every ministry that we could think of going on here at Holy Cross. And as you leave today, an usher will give you a commitment card that looks like this. Okay? And all those ministries are listed on that commitment card. And I invite you to take that card home and to think about it and to pray over it and to reflect upon it. Sunday the 22nd, that's two weeks from now, is our Commitment Sunday. And I invite you to make your commitment to be involved in one or more of these ministries in 2017 as the Lord leads you. As you grow in Christ... You're also committed to serve in Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but this is my prayer for you, that your faith, more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen.